With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into a new, fresh, freshly baked episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Find us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. We're on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, joined as always by my friend and co-host Patrick Mayhorn, and we're here to talk about Ohio State's 52-51 to win over Maryland. Patrick, I didn't watch this game, and I am so, so thankful for it. Yeah, blessed you are for having... <laughs> <laughs> having not watched this game, although you were out in the, the cold, weren't you, out at, at Colorado? Yeah, I was, and luckily it wasn't too bad. I was pretty layered up and also extremely inebriated, so mm. I feel like I was I, I had a nice little layer, but I was following the game on uh, GameCast. It was up on like some big screens in the field house, but I only saw that Ohio State won this game through just like updating Scorecast, and man, everything kind of unfolded. As one big, this was like one big allegory for the whole season and everything we've talked about. But I didn't watch it till afterwards, and I think you have some opinions on somebody who also, it looks like, didn't watch the game either. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. They're not as much opinions as just I'm going to read his his quotes off. This is Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer. Uh, some people may know him saying after the game, he he said. He watched Ohio State defense, and he said a bunch of things happened, obviously. It was alarming. Obviously, it was not good, which is um, the way that you describe a game that you didn't watch. Um, he also said later on about how he's not going to use Ohio State being an underdog as motivation for the, the Michigan game this week. Ohio State is a four-point underdog in that game, which I don't think is true. I think he is going to use that. But he also said... His direct quote was, the most prepared team will win the game, which means Ohio State will lose the game because they are not the most prepared team and they are not going to be against Michigan. And I think that um, I think that those two quotes are just really good. I think that those are good quotes. They had uncomfortable conversations. That was also something he said uh-huh. about the defense. I wonder what that entails. What do you think? I feel like every conversation with Greg Schiano and Bill Davis would be uncomfortable. They don't seem like the type of guys that you could just have easy chats with. Yeah, I I can't imagine that, that Greg Schiano and Bill Davis are super pleasant to talk to. But then again, I mean... Urban Meyer is close friends with them, so I'm sure that they have plenty in common. Like just not knowing how to coach a football team, I, I, they seem to have that in Thinking common. Thinking Tough Borland played well, <laughs> <laughs> dude. He was named a, he was named the player of the game for the defense. Tough Borland. You know what? I can't I can't hate on Tough Borland's ability to just make this coaching staff dreamy dreamy eyed dreamy eyed when they're watching film. <laughs> but we're gonna get to that. And like you said. It's Michigan week, and we probably won't talk a ton about Michigan on today's episode since this is the recap, but we'll definitely get into a deep dive on them here in a couple days when we preview them and talk about 
what's sure to be a slaughter and a very uncomfortable game that we <laughs> both are not looking forward to. But let's let's talk about this game because, like I said, it, it really played out the way I think Ohio State's whole season has and it has been a metaphor for everything that we've talked about and some of the issues and strengths that we've seen from Ohio State. But just in going back and watching it after the fact, it was one of those where, like, literally straight from the jump, it was giving up big plays. Maryland didn't really even do anything that complicated to begin the game. Like, you know, back, I don't know if they ever fixed it in the older editions of NCAA, but back in like the 06, 07 era, if you wanted to run the ball, one of your best ways was to send somebody in motion. And if they were playing man coverage, you were just like, oh shit, there's no corner to that side of the field. And you could just go straight to the edge and you would kind of feel dirty because you were like, huh, that would never happen in real football. <laughs> Folks, it happened in real football to Ohio State because that Maryland running back hit the edge and Brendan White was like kind of there, but there was nobody else. And he struck right down the field. And that was just kind of a precursor for everything that happened. And then you had the kickoff and the weird special teams plays, which we finally got to see Demario McCall, who we're definitely going to talk about on this episode, but right from the jump, it was everything that we've talked about all year. Yeah, I, I actually, I have the, the gif of that touchdown run on the second play of the game up on my screen right now. Um, if people want a, a deeper breakdown of what exactly Ohio State's defense did, uh, I wrote a, a film study of that that you can find at landgrantholyland.com. But um, the this play that I think you're talking about, the where they send um, they send a lineman in motion and then they send a wide receiver in motion. It really was just like it was like a video game glitch <laughs> where Ohio State's defense just doesn't know what a motion is. They they don't have the contextual awareness to figure out what a motion is. And Damon Arnett was generally his responsibility in that situation is to follow the receiver until he gets past the center, at which point it becomes a safety's responsibility. And Damon Arnett is supposed to drop back into whatever that safety was doing. Um, But Maryland snapped the ball before the wide receiver got past the center, and Ohio State doesn't know what to do when that happens. And that happened quite a few times in this game, and that pretty much meant that the entire left side of the field was uncovered. Which is good. It's good to me that that Ohio State's defense does that. It's disregards one side of the field. Yeah, it's objectively good that Ohio State's defense can be manipulated in such a way that there's no one on an entire side of the field. And and you know what? Kudos to Matt Canada and Maryland's coaches because that Yeah, he did a great job. That isn't something that they just did and it worked and it was a bust. Mer- on the first play of the game, or was it the first play of the game first? Or- it was the second play of the game. That was something that they saw, hey, these guys have trouble with motions. Let's see if we can pop something here. And sure enough, they were able to because, and this is going to be a, a wider thing on this podcast, and I, I know it's something we probably hammered to death all season long about the defense. Is it- It's just more and more obvious to me that, any other coach could come into this situation, not any other coach, but a lot of other coaches around the country could come into this situation for what Ohio State is doing in their back seven. And Ohio State, like, instantly would be better by the next week. All of this is scheme. You know, there, there are players that have been playing poor and I don't think deserve to see the field. But I would say about 85% of this is just absolutely terrible coaching and terrible scheme and just being able to get manipulated by 
teams with better coaches who just aren't idiots. And Maryland did a lot of that on Saturday. Yeah, I, I will say, I think that because Maryland had five passing chunk plays and six completions, I, I'm not sure if, if pass defense is as much of a scheme thing, at least in the way that it was working in this game. Um, because Maryland really wasn't doing a ton of quick underneath passes, which is usually what hurts this defense. It was just like Kendall Sheffield getting beat or Damon Arnett getting beat or a safety not rolling over. And that is certainly something that I think could be at least somewhat addressed with, I don't know, like playing a zone once ever um, or anything like that, maybe just not playing uh, cover one on every down. But the the rushing defense is entirely schematic. O- Ohio State has nine blue chip players on this starting defense and you know they they're not untalented football players these are very very good football players and they're being taught the wrong things they're not being taught how to react to situations they're not being taught how to read plays and to adapt during the game and you you see the defense something that i heard a lot on saturday was that the defense played better in the second half which statistically speaking they really didn't i mean they gave up 21 points in the second half and 24 in the first that's really not all that great um but the the thing that that they really weren't doing because they did adjust in the second half they they figured out how to slow down the actual running back running attack because they stopped focusing so much on the motion and started just focusing on the running back, which would have hurt them if Maryland had adjusted, which they didn't. The The rushing defense thing is all scheme. It's entirely scheme, and it's it's the fact that these guys don't really know what they're doing against the run. <laughs> and they, you know, Maryland ran the same play pretty much. They ran the same play like three straight times, and they had like three different rushing plays total, and every single time it was working because the defense was never actually reading it before the play. They were just reacting on the fly and that's coaching thing that's a lack of preparation and if you think that Ohio State will somehow be more prepared for a better Michigan offense than this Maryland offense I I really don't know what to tell you because they were pretty significantly the um the less prepared team in this game and they have been all season all that talk about the defense improving after Michigan State mm, yeah hell mm, yeah (laughs) after Nebraska's defense gave up what six points to him the other day, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe it was just the Michigan State offense, and I said that I thought it would be the defense's best day in a while. Nope. They needed 52 points and like 700 yards to win this game by one point, and they could have lost anyway if Maryland's quarterback just, just threw the pass right to his dude in the end zone on that two-point conversion, but that was a good point you made about probably the running game being more scheme-based and... We're not going to belabor too much on the corners. Those two guys just are what they are, and it's ridiculous that they they haven't tried anybody, literally anyone else out there on those two islands because those guys just I just can't get it done. But Maryland had five plays of 50 yards or more, and it's just astounding that we keep coming back to this. And they're like, oh, I thought these issues were behind us. <laughs> no, Michigan State's quarterback ran for like a 50-yard gain last week, like – they were terrible, but even they managed a couple of big plays. The issues are exactly the same. But we could talk about the defense all day, all week, all season like we have. And Maryland was able to take advantage of them early on with a couple of big runs and get up 17-3. to But where do we want to start with the offense? Because there's a lot of standout performances, starting with 
Dwayne Haskins set a couple of school records, had 405 yards passing and three touchdowns. And then J.K. Dobbins with the, the probably the biggest line of his career, 37 carries, 203 yards, a touchdown. Haskins also ran the ball 15 times for 59 yards and three touchdowns. And then you had a couple of big days from the wide receivers, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, our boy Benjamin Victor making big plays. So all kind of around, definitely a, a good day for the offense. I think, um, yeah, in, in general, the offense looked really good. The The offense did what we were hoping that they would really against Purdue. This is kind of what we were expecting the offense to do and that they would be able to keep up in a shootout, and they did this week, and that's why Ohio State won the game. Um, before we jump too far into the offense, I would like to get your thoughts on um, I don't know if you watched the full broadcast or the 40-minute version, but um, your thoughts on Urban Meyer's general demeanor, I guess, on the side on the sidelines, just kind of the things that he does during a football game. Because I think I have kind of a – I'm not sure if it's a strong take, but it's a take that I, I hold very strongly. I feel very strongly about it. Um, I think Urban Meyer needs to retire before he seriously injures himself on a sideline because, I mean, he does not look well. Urban Meyer does not look well on the sideline. He hasn't looked well all season. Um, and, like, if he, can't, if he can't coach a football team, he needs to not do it anymore because I don't, like, I don't have anything against Urban Meyer the person, and I don't want to see Urban Meyer the person coach himself to death. That's not good. And I, I'm I'm not a doctor or, or anything, but like there were times during that game where on the sidelines Ohio State's in a huddle and he's just bent over, like not anywhere near the huddle. There were times where he looked more physically pained by a bad play than I've ever seen anyone look. And it, it's just it feels like he's back to where he was at Florida, where he, he lives and dies with every play. And it certainly doesn't help that every game with this team is close. But it's if he can't if he can't coach this team, he shouldn't coach the team anymore. I, I don't know why he's why he's doing this to himself. You know, I and I can see that point of view, and I do think that even if he's not at this point, he we we've been talking about this, right? It was something that was asked yeah. to him in last week's press conference. And I think just from a looks perspective he just needs to do a better job, even if he's not, you know, pained over because it's, they have, I guess, I since I didn't watch the full game, but I heard people talking about it, like the urban cam, like at this point, it's a thing and it's distracting from the team and it's being a bigger issue, especially if he's coming out and being like, no, like I'm fine. I'm good. Like there are just plays that happen during a game and I react the way I do. I honestly think it's a little bit overblown, but I think he should do a much better job of controlling it because, you know, you watch other coaches like Brent Venables is a dude that stands out to me at Clemson and they always show him on the sideline barking and yelling. And I think what Meyer's doing right now kind of fits in to how the whole season has gone and how the season started. And if you're ESPN, if you're any other broadcast network, you should have that cam ready because it's a big thing and people are going to write about it. People are going to talk about it. And I, I think he needs to do a much better job of doing that. I don't know how much of it actually is him being in pain or him, you know, being detached from the team, but at the very least it's not a good look, especially the one with him 
outside of the huddle, he can do a much better job, I think, managing that and not having it be such a topic of discussion. But for the biggest game of the year, for one of the biggest rivalries in college football between two 10-1 teams, that's going to be something that's a topic of conversation this week, regardless of how that game goes and how it plays out, because that's going to be a thing on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think that, that really my my main thing on all of this is that if Urban Meyer is legitimately as unwell as he looks, I, I hope that he is. Oh, for sure. I hope he's okay, and I, I hope that he can move forward and not not really coach until he dies. I, I hope that if he is as unhealthy as he looks, if his his brain cyst is getting worse, I hope that he has the the wherewithal to know that he he shouldn't keep coaching. I don't think that I I don't think that anyone would expect someone to coach with what seems to be a a, a quickly worsening brain cyst. And I, I hope that Urban Meyer doesn't hold himself to that standard. If he's willing to coach and if he's capable, then he should keep coaching. But it, it it is a health thing, and that's that's serious. He's had issues with this before, and we saw it at Florida. He retired because of health issues, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens here. But back to the back to the offense. I, I think that for as terrible as the defense was, um, the offense was a pretty big positive. The offense looked awesome, like you said. Um, let's start with Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins in. In my opinion, I, I think we talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the last couple weeks, too. He had been struggling for the last, not even the last couple games, for the last month or so, really going back to Purdue, where he had a lot of empty yards, a lot of struggles with footwork, where he wasn't really setting his feet before he throws. He was not handling pressure well. And while I don't think Maryland's defense is all that great, I don't think that they really tested him a ton. He looked great. He he threw for 405 yards on 28 completions, three touchdowns. He had the one wacky pick six where it was deflected up in the air. But he looked like the Dwayne Haskins of old. He looked confident back there. He was really delivering passes to the right guy quickly. He was getting the ball out of his hand quickly. He looked really good. He ran this offense the way that it's supposed to be run. Yeah, and, you know, for as much as we're going to bitch about him running the ball, he was able to run it effectively enough and power through from some short yardage plays. That last TD on the bad snap by Michael Jordan, that was another thing that played into something we've been talking about all season. He was able to just power into the end zone from from that mistake and make a play. So I, I thought that it was obviously his best performance and like you said, at least over a month. And when I talked about the linebackers and the secondary getting better coaching and being able to change, I think my main reason for that is looking at these wide receivers. And it's something we've touched on a little bit this season, but we thought those guys were terrible last year. And every single one of them this season has been awesome. And they all pretty much showcase that in different ways. Terry McLaurin had a couple of really nice catches. He had that pass where he got interfered with down the field, was still able to come up with the ball. He had the long touchdown reception. We saw Johnny Dixon break loose a couple of times. Benjamin Victor made two crucial catches. All of those guys really stepped out. Luke Farrell made a couple of plays. Rashad Berry made a big fourth down play and then another play in overtime. So even the tight ends are getting used. So I, I couldn't be more happy with what this receiver group has done and how much they've improved and they have been the best unit on the team all season and they showed once again their improvement on Saturday yeah word up to these these receivers they've really done a great job this season um they they've had 
drop issues the last couple weeks. Specifically, I know Johnny Dixon had several drops over the last couple weeks, but he bounced back in a big way in this game. He had six receptions for 102 yards. Um, Terry McLaurin has become a, a legitimate deep threat, which is kind of the thing we thought he would always be. But after you know three years in the program, it might have been even four years, he might be a redshirt senior. Um, he... He, it didn't really look like he was ever going to to get to the point where he could catch the ball over his shoulder. And he's still not doing a ton of that, generally because the deep throws are usually underthrown. But he's gotten really good at tracking the ball in the air and adjusting to it. And he made a play that was actually probably pass interference um, early on in the game where he, he rose up to catch the ball and like threw his defender back by the face mask. Um, but it was not called, and it was a great catch, and... He really looks like he has taken to to Brian Hartline's coaching, and I don't know how much of this is Brian Hartline and how much of it is just um, the players being experienced and and you know being good at football when they do actually have a coach show up. Um, but and I, I don't want to give I don't want to give anyone on this staff too much credit because um, this is the second most talented team in the country. This is what they're supposed to be, but. These receivers have been awesome. Um, I, I think the passing game in general was was back to what it's supposed to be this week. Um, what I didn't like as much from Dwayne Haskins, and I don't think it was his decision, was that, as you mentioned earlier, he ran 15 times for, for 59 yards. He did have three touchdowns, which was surprising, including, I think, what was the game-winning touchdown in, in overtime. Most of them were, were short runs, usually in the the red zone, but it seemed like it seemed like Ohio State essentially decided, well, if people are going to complain about the Tate Martell package, we'll just run it with Dwayne Haskins, which is also not really what we wanted. <laughs> and you know what? This was the rare time where I think I can't complain too much about it, even though it's obviously still terrible and not sustaining long term, because J.K. Dobbins got 37 carries and was able to churn out 203 yards out of it. And even in watching the game back and already knowing that Dobbins had 203 yards, it was like classic JK where I was, yeah. I like looked at the box score. I was like, how, how did he have 203 <laughs> yards? It was just very quiet. His longest run was 28. He just kept moving forward all game. And there were a couple of negative yardage runs, but he just never stops, man. And with Mike Weber out with that leg injury, he really was able to keep Ohio State's offense efficient to go along with some of the deeper passing plays, which, surprise, if you let your big-arm quarterback throw the ball down the field, these four- and five-star receivers probably going to make plays for him. So that was nice to see. But J.K. Dobbins is just so efficient, and when he is in his groove, Ohio State's offense is at their best. Yeah, and you you mentioned the Mike Weber being out thing, and I want to touch on that a little bit because it was a really strange situation. I know that you weren't um, watching the game live, so you weren't as up on the thing that was kind of going on. With that, I don't know if you've, you've caught up in, in retrospect, um, but he wasn't he wasn't named to like an injury report or anything before the game. And during the game, he was standing on the sidelines, like with all of his gear on, like he had his helmet on and everything. And it, it seemed like he was capable of playing. I, I don't really know what the what the situation was there. Um, hopefully, if it if it was an injury thing and he just aggravated it in the warmups or something, he'll he'll be back and ready to go against Michigan. I think he will be. But 
It, it was a really strange situation, and that's something that we've seen a couple times this season from Ohio State, where a guy isn't really named as someone who has an injury until, like, during the game. And then after the game, Urban Meyer's like, oh, yeah, he had so-and-so. It's like, well, why didn't you say that <laughs> before the game? Um, so I'm not super sure what's going on there, but hopefully Mike Weber is is back and healthy. But even if he's not, it looks like J.K. Dobbins is good, at least for this week. We, we've fallen into this trap again where one of the running backs has a really good game, and we're like, well, well, he's good again. And I don't know if that's sustainable against Michigan because um, Michigan's defense is really good, even if Chase Winovich is out because I know he he suffered an injury against Indiana. I, I don't know if he's playing or not. But that front seven's really good, and I don't think J.K. Dobbins will be able to run for 200 yards on them. I certainly don't think Dwayne Haskins can run for 60 on them, but it is encouraging that the running game was was pretty good against Maryland, even if Maryland's defense is not all that special. And it led to a couple opportunities for our sweet baby boy, Demario McCall, yeah. who had only... He pretty much won the game for Ohio State with his, his big kick return. <laughs> he came off the bench and had... Two carries for 12 yards, but the biggest play was in, what was it, late in the fourth quarter? when I think, yeah, I think it was right before Ohio State's last yeah, drive. With, yeah, with a minute 40 left, I'm actually watching the play right now, he was able to return a kickoff out to the 50-yard line, juke like four guys, and get out to midfield and put Ohio State in good field position. And after the game, I did see that Meyer was like, yeah, obviously, DeMario's our kick returner going for is like... <laughs> Obviously, God. yes, indeed. Um, but no, it's it's really great to see that Demario at least has that role for now. Hopefully, we see him on the field again against Michigan. We're kind of at the point with this offense, I think, where not that there are too many weapons, but they don't have like an established hierarchy. So everybody just kind of ends up being like, "Hey, if you're the guy today, you're the guy today, and I'll be the guy next week." Even like you're saying with the running game between. Dobbins and Weber but it's clear that he provides them a little bit more of a dynamic option especially in the kick return game but in the offense as well and it feels like they don't have that sort of h-back role and he could really be able to fit that and maybe that's a little bit of a, of a take because we've seen Paris Campbell break some big plays but I, I just think that Demario McCall gives them a little bit more and I know that the trust factor probably is something that's been keeping him from seeing a lot of playing time, but he stepped up and made a play that helped ultimately win them a game. Yeah, and I think that it's weird because I am going to go off on a little bit of a negative tangent here, which is weird to do for what was ostensibly a positive thing to Mario McCall coming in and basically saving the game with his kickoff return. I don't know if Ohio State drives down and ties the game if he doesn't do that. Um, it's ridiculous that he was on the bench for 10 games. It's ridiculous. And we, we've talked about this all season long, how it's pretty obvious that he's the best kick returner on the team. It's pretty obvious that he could contribute to the offense. And that Urban Meyer was, I, I don't know if it's scared, if it's that he doesn't trust him, what it is. I, I'm sure that there's something there that Urban Meyer, he didn't get enough tackles on kickoff or something stupid like that. But it, it's ridiculous that you can see, I mean, fans can see the DeMario McCall talent. We can see from a television how he's faster than everyone else on the field. And Urban Meyer can't see that. Urban Meyer isn't aware that DeMario McCall is faster than everyone else on his football team. 
And it's just it's just ridiculous that Ohio State has a guy like this who's a serious weapon on special teams, which they haven't had since Jalen Marshall. And I just I don't understand why it took them this long to figure out, hey, what if we put the fast guy back there and just let him run? Because it's not like with him not back there, they were, you know, significantly better at not fumbling the football. I mean, <laughs> they were still fumbling the football on special teams. They were still having special teams issues. There just wasn't any kind of big play potential either. It was it was pretty much just going to be either a fair catch or a muffed punt. And Demario McCall doesn't give you that. Demario McCall gives you so much more as a as a return man and on the offense. He's He's a weapon that Ohio State, like you mentioned, does not have on this offense. He's not Paris Campbell. He's not K.J. Hill. He's not J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber. He's an entirely different kind of player that if Ohio State wants to throw screen passes to, I think he's the best guy on this team for screen passes. If they want to throw swing routes, I think he's the best guy on this team for swing routes. I mean, we've seen him in spring games go on wheel routes and be wide open for touchdowns. He seems to be a capable receiver and runner. And when they're using Mike Weber as the outside running guy, it really makes you wonder why DeMario McCall isn't doing that because they have success running outside. And why not make it with an even faster running back? Why not make it with a guy who, when he hits that second level, can score on any play because he's so elusive? And I doubt that they do it because that's just how Ohio State football works, and they're afraid to to do anything that strays from the norm. But Demario McCall deserves to start on this football team. He he deserves to start and to see significant playing time both on special teams and on offense because he's too talented to not see that playing time. Speak your truth, King. Speak yeah. your truth. <laughs> no, and I, I think that that's maybe a larger issue to watching the special teams play and even, you know, disregarding the Johnny Dixon play, which Maryland recovered, is that I am of the belief that we are going to look back next season and be like, huh, there was like six or seven dudes that were just playing special teams last year that are great players on the offense or defense right now. Like, I, I think just looking at that special teams unit, whether it's kick return or kickoff, punt, whatever it may be, that there's a handful of guys who are going to be starters next season at whichever positions and are, are going to be very good playmakers. And we're all just kind of kind of look back at the 2018 season and be like, yeah, that was kind of a lost year. Like, And so we'll have to see what happens next year with it. But I like what I'm seeing for most of the special teams. And uh, I think there's going to be some dudes there, and I'm happy that Demario McCall is making plays, and hopefully he gets – a bigger role. Also, a couple things. Chris Olave, he still has a lot of young moments. There was a play, I, I don't remember if it was the second or third quarter, where it should have been a touchdown and he just didn't know which shoulder to look over, but Dwayne Haskins put the ball up pretty perfectly for him to go get. He's going to be really good. He is going to be really, really good, and he's going to have a much bigger role next season. And for him to see the field this early with this staff and how conservative they are, I think says something. And I'm excited to see how his development goes as we get into bowl season and you know eventually head to 2019. And the Tate Martell package, we talked about it's it. Bad. We talked about it extensively. <laughs> we said this that was their 
last option. It's not good. It's too late in the season. It's exactly like we said it was. It looks like they didn't practice it at all, all season until last week leading up to the Michigan State game. I don't think it's anything indicative of Tate Martell or how he's going to be going forward, but it just looks like they just jumbled it together and were like, all right, Tate, uh, run the zone read and try to make plays for us. So I think that that's pretty much the end of that. Yeah, the um, the Olave pass that you're talking about, I think was early on in the fourth quarter and it, it would have been a touchdown. But I, I agree that he he looks pretty good. He looks fast. He he has good hands when he, he sees the ball. I think he just lost it there. And he's, he's a young guy. He was not a particularly highly touted recruit either. I think he was a, a mid three star. But he's he's a good player and he he seems to be improving as the season goes on which is rare for Ohio State players but yeah the the Tate Martell thing was I mean it was never going to work I, I know why people wanted it but it was never ever going to work I mean you can get five yards out of it sometimes Ohio State didn't in this game they got one yard out of it and then they brought uh, Dwayne Haskins back in, and I believe they didn't get the first down on that series. If I'm if I'm remembering I correctly, right. they I th- I think that they went uh, on a fourth down and they didn't get it. Um, but it seems like Ohio State picked on the, up on that too and just decided that they would run the JT Barrett offense with Dwayne Haskins, which is stupid and it's not going to be sustainable. But it's too late in the season to try and teach them that, and I don't think Urban Meyer's ever going to learn that or, or go away from the quarterback rushing game so I don't know maybe if he's here the coach if he's the coach here next year and Tate Martell is the quarterback the offense will be back to good at at running the football and the running game was fine in in this game the running game was good but they they just don't seem capable or willing of going away from the quarterback rushing game which is it's frustrating it's frustrating that you know you go and you watch Alabama you go and you watch Clemson the these other teams who have these great young quarterbacks and they're letting them throw <laughs> they're letting them throw the ball and um you know Tua and and Trevor Lawrence certainly do some running but you're not going to see those guys running 15 times in a game i mean that's that's ridiculous for someone who is a pocket passer i mean Dwayne Haskins is a pocket passer and i don't know Dwayne Dwayne said in his post game press conference I, I don't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of that running wasn't as bad as he thought it would be and that he, he kind of liked running, which I, I don't believe. <laughs> I, I don't think I believe that at all. But um, I, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think he's probably just going to have to keep doing it. And um, that's not going to work against Michigan, but we'll certainly talk about that on the preview podcast. Two his most carries this season in a game. Eight. Awesome. Eight. And that was that was for negative 24 yards, so I'm assuming I didn't watch that game against Mississippi State a couple weeks ago, but that was probably mostly sacks. Other than that, he hasn't carried the ball over five times a game once this season. Pretty similar players, too. Yep, and I, I think that that's definitely something to be wary of. I think the offensive line did well for the most part. Haskins has to step up way too much. They, they just get killed on those outside ends on some of those pass rushes and – that might get a little bit ugly this week against Michigan's defense, but for the most part, I think that they've improved the last the last few weeks. I don't know if I'm going to count the Michigan State game still, but overall, this was probably... I think the Michigan State game was a fluke. Yeah. I think that that's my take at this point with the defense. I think it was a fluke. Absolutely, and this was the offensive lines, I think, most 
complete performance, but at the same time, I don't think they played great. We also learned today that Brandon Bowen is clear. He could have played if needed. I think he has been needed all season, and it would yeah. be nice to see him out on the field. But uh, I, what's his year? Is he a junior? I believe he, he may get a um, a medical hardship. Yeah, if he has eligibility left, let's uh, let's make sure to get that guy on the field in yeah. 2019. Ohio State could definitely use him. Do you have any other strong thoughts about this game? I know we don't get too much into like specific plays, so we haven't talked a lot about the two-point conversion and the fact that Ohio State's offense had to not only score 52 points, but like immediately in overtime on the road, went down, scored a touchdown, and on first down, the defense just gave up a 24-yard run down to the one and that they were able to escape the way they did, not even making a good play, just having to have an overthrow is pretty remarkable. And I, I don't say I want, I never want to see Ohio State lose ever, but it's, I wonder what that alternate universe is like where Maryland completed that play and scored there. I think it's way funnier had they, had they won the game. Uh, and over time, I think that it would have been way funnier, but, um, no, I, I think my last thing to focus on that specific play for a second, that, that sweep in, in overtime that went for 24 yards. Um, earlier I mentioned kind of an, an offhand thing that had Maryland switched up their offense a little bit in the second half after Ohio State made an adjustment. They probably would have won the game. And um, I explained it in my film study, but I'll explain it here too. Um, that sweep play was open for the entire second half. If Maryland, if Maryland had handed off to the motion more, they would have won this football game because, um, as you see, I'm, I'm looking at the gif right now of this play. As you see, pretty much Ohio state's entire front seven goes towards where the running back is running. So as to, to stop him, they don't pay attention to the motion really at all, except for Brendan white who gets, um, he gets caught up on a linebacker and, Maryland had that open for the entire second half, and they just didn't do it. And I think Matt Canada had called a really good game, but that was a mistake on his part. He he really should have picked up on that and started running the jet sweep more. And I, I really do honestly think that if they do, this game probably isn't even all that close. I think Maryland wins by a couple touchdowns because they would have just kept gashing this defense for big plays. And... um I, I think that Ohio State got really lucky here that Maryland didn't do that. And um, the, again, I, I said in my film study that this is the the way that the defense looked better in the second half was essentially with a Band-Aid fix. They, they started focusing on the running back because that's all Maryland was doing. Maryland didn't pick up in time. Um, Michigan will. Michigan has a very good coaching staff. They have a very smart coaching staff. And they're more talented than Maryland. They're not going to get tired like Maryland did. And that's the kind of thing Michigan will will pick up on. If Ohio State is focusing specifically on stopping the handoff to the running back when Michigan does a motion, they'll start handing off to the motion, and Ohio State's not going to have an answer for it unless they switch the way that they play defense, which they're not going to do. Tough Borland just turning around 360 degrees. P. Warner like, hey, where am I supposed to be? Why is that guy yeah, running past awesome. me? He's 20 yards downfield. <laughs> uh, and and Maryland awesome. also recovered three or four fumbles, including one in the end zone. So this game definitely had its moments where it felt like, uh Oh, this is on the verge of getting ugly, whether it was 
getting out to the 17-3 deficit or it was 31-17 to at one point. The game definitely could have turned and been very ugly for Ohio State, but they were able to, to gut through, make enough plays, and the offense was able to have a, a pretty good day and win this game on the road. A, a 50, it took 52 points to beat Maryland by one. By one, Patrick. On the road. Five lost Maryland. Yeah. Five lost Maryland. Yeah. That's all right though. My my own my last thing is Draymond Jones is good. I'm gonna mi- yeah. I'm gonna miss him a lot. He's been a stalwart in the inside of this defense. I'm sure we're missing talking about a couple of different plays or players, but I, I think that there are guys along the line that flash at certain times. Robert Landers is good for a couple of tackles behind the line per game. Wish he was a little bit more consistent, but that's also not his role. And I think that he plays his part well. Haskell Garrett is receiving a lot of time. I think in 2019, we'll see him take another step forward. But right now, man, Draymond Jones is the glue for this defense. And it was nice to see Chase Young make a, make a couple plays and get some pressures. But uh, really loving what I'm seeing for Draymond Jones. And he's going to have to be another key for them this week uh, against Michigan because he's their best defensive player. Yeah, he, he really is. And we mentioned quite a bit on this this episode, players not adjusting to things that they had just seen. Um, and the the play that I'm specifically thinking of, I, I also have in my film study. Really, just go read my film study, people who are, <laughs> who are listening. Um, but there was there was a play. It was a first down run, and um, Maryland did a, a tight end motion, and then they ran inside the tackle. And on the first play, Draymond Jones didn't really get far enough outside to stop that, and they they ran right on his right outside of his hip and. It ended up going for just about eight yards. But then on the second play, he saw that motion and he jumped further outside. He got further outside on his lineman's hip and had Brendan White not followed him <laughs> completely, they would have stopped that play for pretty much no yards on third down. Instead, it went for like 30 because of the fact that there were no linebackers there and Brendan White just didn't play it very well. But Draymond Jones made an adjustment. He He made the correct adjustment and Anthony McFarland just made a p- good play. And I think that... It it really is. And Draymond Jones is pretty much the only player on this defense that can consistently read an offense and can consistently adjust to things an offense is doing. So credit to him. He's a he's a really good player, and I think that he is a pretty much surefire first round NFL pick. And whoever gets him is going to be getting a really smart player. Oh boy! Just as we're doing this, Karan Higdon, Michigan running back, guarantees a Michigan win. It's going to be a very very interesting week here as we lead up to the Michigan game. I have no other thoughts about the Maryland game. We're ready to get this week over. At least I know I am and move on to whatever, whatever recap we are recording here next week on the Holy land pod. Are there any other thoughts you have from around college football this week? It was a pretty lackluster week. It seemed like, um, not really West Virginia got upset, which was a little weird. Um, I don't really know what to think of Oklahoma state. They just keep doing (laughs) dumb things. Um, outside of that, really not a ton going on. The nightcap was really bad. It was like probably one of the worst nightcaps of the season, just in terms of actual quality of play. Um, UCF murdered Cincinnati. They're good. The, the final score, the final score doesn't really reflect how much that game was. I mean, it was never really close. It was Cincinnati had the lead early on because they forced a fumble and recovered it in the end zone. But UCF murdered them. Their their defense looked really good. Their offense is ridiculously fast. I, I know that I'm significantly more in on 
the idea of putting G5 teams in the playoff than most people are, and I, I don't think that it's ever going to actually happen. But UCF should be in the playoff. They're one of the four best teams in the country. I, I think that they are significantly better than everyone that isn't Clemson, Alabama, and Notre Dame, and I think that they, they do deserve that fourth spot over Ohio State, over Michigan, over Oklahoma, even over like Washington State if Washington State wins out. And they're, they're not going to get it, which is unfortunate, but they're, they're a really good football team. Yeah, I've never really been a big UCF guy, but they absolutely deserve it, and if they win out, it, it's at least worth seeing. Let, let's see it. And, and, yeah, and I, I just want to see it. What would happen? They have done a good enough job to deserve it. And like you said, I, I don't, we don't need to see Ohio state in the playoff. We really, we really don't. Yeah. I don't want to, yeah, we know how I don't want to see this team play Alabama, <laughs> but we will talk more about whatever Ohio state's postseason fate is after our recap pod to the Michigan game. But before then we will have our preview podcast for the Michigan game. The biggest stakes for the game ever. The winner goes on to play Northwestern. In the Big Ten Championship, (laughs) just like the way Woody Hayes would have wanted it. This is old school Big Ten, 10-year war football, Patrick. Yeah, Woody Hayes, notorious for loving uh, journalism and journalism schools. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's get out of here before we devolve into you know exactly where this is going. Ohio State head coach Greg Schiano. Ohio State head coach Greg Schiano. (laughs) Ohio State head coach Paul Pasqualoni. Yep. (laughs) We'll be back, though, later on this week talking Ohio State-Michigan. The Why Is This News podcast will also be back. I think we're going to have a guest from the other side talking about the game. Uh, Before we get out of here, I just want to say the the Red X thing on the M's, it was terrible when it started, and it's it's, it's terrible six years later. Let's let's please not do that. It's dumb. (laughs) I'm very thankful that nobody on my timeline does that. But for the rest of you, if you do it, you need to stop because it's awful. It's terrible. Nobody likes it that has a brain. That's my opinion on it. But we're going to get out of here on that before I get the angry tweets sent my way. You got anything else? Um, no, I think that that's about it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's Michigan week. I'm very scared about it. Um, we, we will certainly talk about that further. We, we might try to find someone who has a little bit more favorable view of Ohio State to, to talk us off the ledge a little bit. But um, it's Michigan Our week. Our next guest, Urban Meyer. <laughs> Yeah, our next guest, Urban Meyer. Greg Schiano, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we're really close, guys. Like, the linebackers have been in play. I feel like we're really we're really hunkering down. I know it's week 13, but uh, I feel like we're really close to getting this, getting this thing fixed. But Ohio State's regular season almost over, and it's a shame. Just when college football gets here, it leaves us once again. But we've got one more regular season game, and then we will see what happens, and we will be back to preview that here in a couple days. So stay tuned, Apple Podcasts, and on SoundCloud to find the show. Also, follow us on Twitter, at HolyLandPod, and follow Patrick on Twitter, Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am on Twitter, at DubsCo. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. We want to thank you guys for listening. We will catch you later on this week to talk about Michigan. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.